You're listening to the Transform Your Nutrition Podcast with your hosts, Rebecca Heald and Jeff Ash. Our purpose is to help individuals and families transform their relationships with food and develop healthy bodies, minds, and attitudes, all without restriction, guilt, or shame. So we're live. How are you today, Sarah and Jeff? Good, thank you. Yes, good. Cool. So we're here live again on LinkedIn, like we are usually every Friday with Jeff. But we've got Sarah Brooks here today to join us as well in in our conversation. So do you want to introduce yourself, Sarah? Because obviously anybody who follows me, who follows Jeff, knows that we go live um, most Fridays, so they're familiar with us. Um, But what about yourself, Sarah? Do you want to just give yourself, give everybody a quick introduction? Yes, sure. So I'm Sarah. My surname changes depending on what platform I'm on. So I'm sometimes Bourne or I'm sometimes Brooks. So Bourne is my married name. Bourne is my other, uh, Brooks is my other name and not everything's changed. So it's a bit confusing. Um, I'm a personal trainer, have been for a long time and nutritionist. Um, So Jeff and I were on the same intake. So that's kind of how we knew each other and also met you through that as well. So we're kind of all nutrition buddies. Um, I mainly work one-to-one with people, um, mainly for weight loss, um, but also especially with the PT for fitness and health as well. Excellent. And where are you based, Sarah? I am on the south coast in England, so um, near Bournemouth. Very sunny Bournemouth today. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. At least you can get out and go to the sea at some point, yeah? Well, you'd like to think that, but about a million tourists also have the same idea. So <laughs> we tend we tend not to. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> okay, so well, thank you very much. And so yes, as usual today, we are here to answer any questions that anybody has. If anybody is watching, as always, please say hi, even if you've got no questions particularly or comments, just say hello so that we know that you're here. If you're watching the replay, hashtag replay, post any questions or comments as always. We are going to dive into a topic as usual today. And today we're actually going to be talking about weighing children in schools, our thoughts on that. So if you are a parent or you're a teacher or you work with children in any way, shape or form, and this is something that has affected you, then please, or even if you've just got some comments or you want to share your experience with this, please do comment because we would love to have, as always, some interaction. But again, if you have got any other nutrition-related questions, please do comment as well because we're more than happy to divert and answer those, uh, especially if you're watching the replay as well. So let's get stuck in. In the UK, I'm not sure exactly how the land lies in in the US, Jeff. You have sent me a couple of links to some some blogs, uh, which gives me a little bit more of an idea because it sounds like in the UK, obviously, I think there is a UK-based approach to most things, whereas it will be different according to the state in the US, wouldn't it? Yeah, to some to some degree, uh, that that's the case because in the US, each state has um, a fair bit of autonomy uh, in certain areas and. Education is one of those. I mean, there is a federal, federally controlled uh, level of education and states have to meet certain requirements. And it's basically so they get money from the federal government. But yeah, sure. um, but yeah there, it does vary from state to state, which is why state to state, the education quality is <laughs> varies to, yeah. to a significant degree, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that that's the case to a certain extent here as well, isn't it, Sarah, um, in terms yeah. of the authority? Yeah. yeah. 
different authorities, different counties. But I think, um, obviously, but in the US and in the UK, coming out of lockdown, there is, you know, there's this idea that weighing children and submitting BMIs is the way forward in terms of protecting our children's health. But what are your thoughts on this? So I'll start with you, Sarah, seeing as you're our new guest today. Um, so it's a bit of an open-ended question. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of got mixed views to it. I was trying to remember, like, I, I'm pretty sure I was weighed at school um, and I don't remember it being a negative experience. But I also think that probably back then, most children probably weren't overweight because obviously obesity has grown um you know I'm only 21 of course you know <laughs> looking good for 21 Sarah <laughs> um so that was my own experiences and I actually asked my own kids whether they were weighed at school and they can't remember so they're not obviously um that old but if they were weighed it obviously hasn't stuck in their their memories um but what I would say, I suppose, is that when I worked for the NHS, um, which I left about seven, eight years ago, we had a pilot scheme where um, overweight children were picked up from weighing at school. And we formed an initiative with the health authority to um, deliver a programme. And it was a 12 week programme for the children and their parents. And it was a very... I guess holistic approach so we taught them how to cook we taught them um about the value of sort of healthy foods and everything we did a exercise program and we did a mindset program and I guess what my my point probably is 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 that weighing itself may not be the issue it's what we do afterwards that is the issue and how it's approached um because if you know if you're weighing I know the um, information that Jeff sent through about, you know, they had to be weighed before they were accepted in school. Yeah. just seems outrageous. I mean, what, yeah. what are they going to do? Say, oh, no, sorry, you're overweight. You can't join the school. I don't see the point in that at all. I just think that just is, is just focusing everything on weight. But I think if it can be done in a way where the kids probably aren't even aware of what it's all about and then the right steps can be put in place afterwards, then potentially it it could work. But I just think knowing the way things are done, it won't be done that way. So, I mean, I've seen a positive outcome in only one pilot scheme and unfortunately it wasn't continued because the money wasn't there. So, you know, I think there are there is a place for it to happen if the right things can go in place afterwards. But I think, unfortunately, that won't happen. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's not just the right things afterwards, is it? It's also before, I think, because I think it's about looking at the history, isn't it? The history of a child's weight as well, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I think. Because like you, it's not that I'm completely against. And I think I because I, 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 I posted something about this on my LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago. Um, and somebody did ask me, like, are you are you against weighing children? And like you, like you, Sarah, I'm not against it. It's it's how it's done. It's how it's approached. Yeah. And I think exactly like the um, the blog that you sent through as well, Jeff, where it was saying, you know, how about we ask these questions instead, or as well, mm-hmm. um, like I said, and look at the bigger picture, look at the profile of the child, because we are all different weights, shapes, and sizes. And my concern is that weighing children in school is just a way of trying to slim children down when 
that might not be the case. That might not be necessary for, for all children that are perhaps, you know, heavier on the scales. And that, that could be very normal for them, though, couldn't it? Mm-hmm. But even if they are heavier on the scales, you know, again, it's about, you know, asking those questions like, you know, to, to try and find out what is going on in a, in, in a family's home. Because, you know, not many families, there are a lot of families that are struggling. There are a lot of families that are struggling economically, socially. And so just putting children in a box because of their BMI is, like you say, it's not helpful, is it? No. No, not at all. Yeah, and, and I, w- I would agree with that. And it's it weighing children is an important part of the entire health process, I think, and uh, regularly doing that, you know, in your doctor's checkups, having having a growth chart to look at uh, over the course of the child's entire life from birth through, you know, up until the current time and having those data points that you can look at and and assess um, as a whole. But any one data point, uh, just like we know when we weigh our, you know, as adults, we weigh ourselves, you weigh yourself on Monday morning, that doesn't tell you much of anything because it uh, it doesn't tell you if you've actually if you're trending toward putting on additional weight if you're trending toward decreasing weight you need uh, you need a, a bigger picture of the whole thing and that's the problem I think with with weighing kids at school is I don't think that that's what they're doing in most cases they're they're looking at a snapshot of what is that child's BMI and in the case of kids they weigh. Uh, BMI is done a little bit different. It's based on percentiles um, of, of where they fall with their weight and height. And so um, it, it's very easy for us to fall into this mentality that, oh, if my kid's not at the 50th percentile or very close to it, they are either underweight or overweight. When in fact, only 50% of <laughs> you know, 50% of uh, people are going to be above Oh, he's frozen. Is he frozen you as well? But, oh, is he back? Sorry, he's yes. frozen. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. But uh, but 50% of kids are going to be heavier than that 50th percentile, and 50% of them are going to be below that. And so when we start to think about that, um, being at the 50th percentile is, is not a realistic goal, and, and it may not be the right size for a child either. So the, anyway, these growth charts looking at those, you can also tell, hey, is this where that child has normally been? Are they just a little bit bigger kid? Are they a little bit smaller kid? Um, And if so, and if they've been growing predictably uh, over the course of of their childhood, then then that is certainly much, much less cause for concern, even if they're at one of those higher numbers that would classify them as as being overweight or obese. Yeah. Yeah. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because like, from the first moment a baby's born, that's the first thing they do is they weigh them. The minute they yeah. there they are, they're on the scales, they're weighed. And you get that growth and weight done constantly. They they need to check that they're growing and they're thriving and all the rest of it. But I do remember as a parent myself, you know, they'd always plot it on those centile charts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there would be a level of anxiety if your child yeah. wasn't on that line that, that was the perfect line and you'd right. be like, Am I doing something wrong? And, you know, I had a super fussy child. Like the second mm-hmm. one was horrifically fussy. And it was, of course, uh, uh, you know, it was anxiety for me for a lot of years, actually. And I didn't get any help with that. And when they didn't fit that um, percentile that was perfect, 
you questioned yourself, you questioned everything. And it was quite a lot of pressure, actually. So again, you know, nothing was taken into the bigger picture of things was was were they eating, you know, were they very active, you know, all those things that are taken into account or should have been weren't. So you're just left with a feeling that you're not normal. Yeah. Well, and that- so yeah, it, sorry. Uh, Jeff, no, go no. ahead. <laughs> well, I was just going to say just one thing is that I don't think, again, this, it's not explained clearly to parents, is it? That's the other thing. It's like, you've got your red book. We're playing. I mean, I, I remember not having a clue what it meant for for a long time. And Luca was, I think, my eldest. He was like on the 90th percentile for a while. I mean, look at him now. You know, he's, you know, not that I've ever put him on the scales. But, you know, my, and yeah, so it's just, again, um, it, 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 as a parent, like you say, it drives anxiety because you don't understand and you can often dramatise it. And again, there's so much pressure. And I think, yeah, it's funny because now if anybody ever, I, I think I always was quite, um, I've always kind of let my children guide me to a certain extent. And that that, that has um, served me quite well. However, I think there was definitely, like you said, Sarah, that anxiety around thinking, am I doing the right thing? And should I be listening to this? And should I be doing that? And yeah. yeah. Sorry, Jeff, you were going to say something. No, I was, yeah, I was basically going to say the same, same thing. I think that it's that response that we have when we see those numbers, Um, you know, when, when we see that our child is on, is in the 90th percentile, the the immediate response is, oh my gosh, my kid's going to be fat. You know, there's just this panic that because of the way that our, our society works and our culture works. And I I mean, I remember when, uh, you know, my late wife was, uh, was very large and, um, you know, I was much younger when I was 24 when we had our our first daughter, and she was a little chubby. I I didn't really understand any of it really, but you know, she looked a little chubby as a little kid when she was I don't know three or four, and so my immediate thought was, oh no, I hope she doesn't go down that same path. And and of course now my whole mentality has shifted around that that, but I do remember specifically seeing her in a picture and thinking that. That um, oh we need to watch that she is she's a hundred she's five two and one hundred and fifteen pounds now as an adult and she's always been very slim but at that stage of development she was putting on she just had a little more extra fat and I think that that's one of the problems that, that a lot of people don't understand with taking a snapshot of weight is that especially with kids when they go into growth spurts they need a lot of additional energy to to power that growth spurt and that growth spurt they're going to be growing taller and so i mean that happens to kids all the time when they're when their kids are growing taller Um, and sometimes during that that time they are going to take in that additional food to fuel that growth spurt and it's going to end up accumulating as body fat in different ways on different people some people it doesn't accumulate much Uh, other people they'll accumulate they grow, that body fat shifts again, and then they're back to a similar le- uh, body composition as they were prior. And that's the problem. One of the problems, anyway, with taking these snapshots, if you're not looking at the whole, is that you're saying, oh, you're at the 90th percentile. And then then what do you do? You react and you stick the kid on a diet or you say, oh, I got to cut sweets out or I've got to, oh, I've got to cut their portions at home. I got to watch this. and 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 then now we start introducing disordered eating patterns or start questioning the kids or start giving them issues with their body image that were completely unnecessary. It would have resolved itself 
had we just continued doing things as we were before. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point as well that I want, wanted to make is about, about that, you know, again, you if I, I do remember, it's funny, so because you mentioned about, I remember, I think it was Luca, because obviously they stopped Wayne and now they've reintroduced it. And I think, um, I'm sure Luca did get weighed um, when he was young. And I remember getting the letter saying he was, he was overweight or something like that. And, but then that was it. You know, it's just like, you know, we're going to alert you to this. We're not going to try and help you through this. We're not going to try and, because, okay, fair enough. You know, you, we, we could pick up that maybe a child has had an acceleration and maybe and probably through lockdown with reduced physical activity, erratic eating patterns, stress, you know, parental stress, etc. Then there, 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 there will be children that have probably, you know, put on weight that is not natural for their normal growth curve because of the the. the the, the traumatic time that we've been through because of the pandemic but what's going to happen is that people parents there's going to be two, one or two things there's going to be one some children have just had a growth spurt or some children are just growing in a way that is right for them mm-hmm. but this is going to flag up to their parents that potentially it's not right for them so what are they going to do like you said they're going to start reducing portion sizes they're going to start hiding the crisps they're going to start hiding the sweets which as we all know ends up having the opposite effect Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's been plenty of studies to show that when children are restricted, they actually do end up, um, you know, that th- they have a higher BMI and have emotional eating problems later on in life. Um, and it, it, this isn't about us saying that children should have a free for all, by the way. You know, absolutely not. We should not be saying to children, you can have as many crisps and sweets as you want all day. You know, they, they need structure, but they need structure. They don't need restriction. Um, and, and, and this is the kind of thing that we need to be educating parents on, isn't it? It's like, OK, you need to make we, we need to make sure then in order for your child to find the right weight for them, you know, let them, you know, put, put the right structure in place. Make sure that your families are aware of how to cook in an affordable and a healthy way. Also, make sure that they understand that it's also OK to have convenience food. It's OK. You know, it, it, it's, it, it's about what you're doing the majority of the time. And you've got a responsibility as a parent have in that respect. And then our children have also got responsibility. And we need to not take that away. We need to not take the control. We need to not take control is what I'm trying to say. I think it's a difficult one, isn't it? It is yeah. difficult to get the balance right yeah. overall because... You know, the statistics do show that if you're overweight, overweight or obese as a child, you are more likely to be overweight and obese as an adult. And for the longer you've you've lived with obesity, the harder it is to change um, or the harder it is to get to a, a what's considered a normal weight. But, you know, I remember and I can't remember how many years ago, it wasn't that many that people were getting letters through the post and. You know, if you're going through your everyday life and that drops on your doormat and you suddenly have got this black and white letter about your child is overweight, I mean, that's quite confronting for a parent. You know, that's quite, what do I do with that? You would take that quite personally. That's like a personal attack on you as well. And, you know, you kind of, and rather than that, then having a beneficial effect, that actually might do more harm than good because like you say you're left with it what do you do if you yeah. don't have the education you don't know where to turn the resources aren't there you know then you know people sometimes do and I've seen it myself where people will take well actually I see more of the adult now that has been that child and been taken along through to diet clubs all their life and have dieted since they mm-hmm. were 15 
13 or 14 and they're in that diet cycle for life so that's not really the way to go but then you can't just leave them because then they're not going to get educated so it's a real fine line between how you deal with it and it's not an easy solution I don't think that is an easy solution but I think no. not it's not really being solved either way very well no and, and you are right and I'm you know as a as a parent with two young children at the moment I it isn't easy and I can sit here and I can say you know structure and no restriction and all that but I struggle with it every single day you know this morning I went to the gym and Neil's got a handful he's got a pocket full of sweets because he wants some energy when he's in the gym to build his muscles you, you know what I mean and it's like and then he'll come home and he was telling me he'd been eating uh, uh, yeah picking because I you know we've got I have got what I'm doing at home then they go out and they've got what their friends are saying then they've got what their teachers are saying which is sometimes conflicting with what I'm saying at home and then you know I mean I've, even with Luca the other day and he was talking about um body image and stuff like that and it, so it, it's difficult even as someone who feels that they understand it's difficult and I sometimes struggle as well you know when my children are at me in between meals and it's like you know you know you've got to wait for your snack I'm like but I'm starving mum I'm starving and it's like yeah so it, and and yeah it really really is and family meal times which is so important but you can't always make sure actually I was reading something I think it was Morgan who came on um on was it I was on our podcast she didn't come on the live mm-hmm. didn't and she did post something on Instagram that did make me feel a little bit better I think it said something like having a family meal only two or three times a week is is enough or something like that I would think oh phew because you know I don't do it every (laughs) day right no it's impractical um so yeah and I think I think the point I'm trying to make there though as well is parents need support and it needs to be you know everybody needs to be working together schools need to be on the same page communities need to be on the same page and I think that that's where it becomes really really difficult isn't it because you'll go out and you'll be like oh what you do this for your kids no I don't do that or they'll go to school and they'll pick up something else or you'll go to your GP and they'll tell you something else that I think is the hardest thing for parents I really do and and Sarah I had a question for you about what you did when you were in NHS and kind of along these along these lines with um yeah, now you said that they would screen kids and then you they would put them in this program. And, and I'm just kind of wondering, so this program sounds like it potentially would have been extremely beneficial for everyone. Um, and this is where I see one of the issues with weighing kids and using this, this arbitrary BMI as a, an indicator of health or, or potential health issues. And that is that if, if I understand right, it was the kids that probably registered at a certain level. They were then uh, directed toward your program. But then that that's basing the assumption that if a child is a little larger, that they're being fed in an unhealthy way and their parents need educated and the kid needs fixed. And if the kid is at a normal BMI or or even smaller, probably even, you know, often kids are underfed and, and they're looked at and they're just thought to be slim. And that's OK, because our, our culture is OK with as long as you're not big, you're OK. But um, yeah. but then those kids that p- potentially are not being fed very well um, due to lack of education were not put in your program because they weren't big. And it, and it was perceived that big is bad. Normal weight is OK. And that we only need to help the the families of big kids, not the families of of slimmer kids. Was that the case? And what are your thoughts on on that in general? It kind of was. Um, I think from what I can, I mean, I was 
brought in to do, I, I wasn't involved in setting up the program. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, I was involved in the program in, in two aspects. So I was, as part of my um, dietetic assistant role, I was, I had to go and do the, um, the nutrition side of things. And then as my PT role, I was actually paid privately to um, do the exercise element. So it was a okay. joint kind of thing. But from what I re- I'm aware, I think um, kids were weighed at school. And then if any of them were above a certain BMI um, mm-hmm. or on the percentile, then they were eligible to come into the program. And then um, I think what realistically underweight children weren't even evaluated on this. It mm-hmm. wasn't about underweight. It was about overweight. Um, and then it was down to the parents that would take part, basically. So the criteria for joining was, A, they had to be overweight, um, and B, they had to commit to 12 weeks at twice a week. So that was quite a lot. And one parent had to be with them. It wasn't just for the child, it was for both, so the parent and the child. So, um, you know, busy parents, it ran about, I think it was about, four o'clock in the afternoon half of school mm-hmm. something like that so you know some parents had to take time off work in order to take their children to this um yeah. other other families wouldn't have been able to have done that um I remember being surprised at there was only a small number I think we only had between six and eight children um and because obviously you've got to think that's potentially 12 or 16 people plus two of us running it. That's mm-hmm. quite a lot of people. Um, but a couple of the children visually, you would know immediately that they did have a serious weight problem, um, you know, just by looking at them. A couple of them, I remember actually saying to the dietitian in charge, why are they here? They don't look overweight to me. And and the response was, well, they are, their BMI is is higher it's because what you're now seeing is way more overweight children so that is what the norm looks like for you children should actually look like this and there was all there wasn't a scale as in a visual scale but there was a you know you you kind of went back in time to what children were it used Mm -hmm. to be quite skinny I suppose um so and I was quite shocked I remember thinking I would not have said that child was overweight yet they are were still classified as overweight um, but if you take that aside, you know, some of the children had picky eating, you know, some of them were just picky. I think probably one or two of them were that's the case and the parents weren't overweight themselves and they just generally needed some advice as to how do I get my child to actually eat anything that isn't a packet of crisps, really. Um, mm-hmm. The others, it gets a lot more complicated. You know, there were some really strange family dynamics there were a lot of mental health type issues from both parent and child mm-hmm. um there was a lot of emotional issues going on it wasn't just this kid eats too much mm-hmm. junk food it yeah. was a much bigger picture than that and once you got into that that's quite difficult to solve because we're not psychologists at the end of the day you know and you can't fix families you can only educate them and that's kind of where you could see it was going with some of these families and you you know that's very very difficult that's a whole new territory to get involved in 
Well, that's a really interesting point because I, I, I that's something I'm I'm often saying to parents and and other people in general who are asking questions about this is that children's weight is not an issue of them just eating too much, you know, quote, junk food. Um, you know, a lot of times people say, well, the obesity problem is carbs and too much junk food and processed food. And yes, those contribute, you know, the highly processed nature of the food and, and how it's available and how it's pushed on us and promoted is certainly one aspect of it. But really, it comes down to how we eat. And and then it's fairly easy to get focused on the nutrition and physical activity side of things. And just like you said there, uh, several of these kids, even in this small pilot study, it, had, it really wasn't uh, that they were eating too many crisps. It's that their parents had mental health issues. Uh, Jimmy here, um, who is listening, thanks for, for chiming in there. He said, I grew up poor. First McDonald's I had was when I was 14. My mate's mom once said years later, we often wondered if there were legs in your trousers. <laughs> I remember my mom used to say I had a hollow leg or something yeah. when I was a teenager because of how, how much I ate. But um, but that's a good point, too. He mentions um, being poor. And it sounds like he was probably one of the skinnier ones who are poor. But that's, that um, is another really important issue here with all of this is that uh, obesity rates are somewhat ironically much higher in those who are poor and food insecure. So the, the kids yeah. who don't have access to not just good quality food, but enough food, uh, who skip meals and aren't sure if they're actually going to be able to eat or not. And parents have um, parents are often skipping meals. I don't know how how prevalent this is in the UK, but in the US, there are, uh, there's a problem in some of these areas where parents will skip meals for themselves so that their kids can eat. And um, and 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 again, ironically, those uh, that go through these kinds of things end up struggling more with obesity than um, higher income areas. And and so I, I guess my point in bringing that up is there's so much more to this topic than just, OK, what kids, what's their BMI? And then, oh, OK, if their BMI is over this, then we shuttle them over here and we do these additional screenings. Um where we really should be probably screening on far more items than just um, BMI. And I'm not saying that that's the only factor, but I think that it's really easy for us to get stuck on that particular metric because it, it seems that, okay, if you're big, you're not healthy. You need to get smaller to get healthy. And uh, there's this overemphasis on that. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, definitely. And I do, I do think... What you mentioned about food insecurity as well, and I think again in lockdown that will have been something that affected a lot more families, mm -hmm. especially families that weren't going to school. I mean, I saw you know families that weren't having access to free school meals because you know even though they should have been. Um, I mean, there were some great initiatives that are, are coming out here in the UK. There's a um, there's um, holiday activity food um, clubs and stuff that are, are going on, which is great. But yeah. Um, uh, exactly that it is about looking at the bigger picture and asking those questions and, and supporting parents I agree would you agree Sarah as well yeah definitely because you just don't you don't know their situations I mean you know I, I I'm only now talking about this one trial where you met say six different families and you know those were the families that were in a position that they could take time off work you know yeah. some mm -hmm. couldn't do that 
what if that's your only income coming in and you can't spare an extra two hours off work because that means you'll feed your kid even less this week you know mm-hmm. so those sort of people weren't taken into account at all um the most vulnerable weren't <laughs> no absolutely and you know there's also families that because it would be seen as a sort of negative thing on them and their yeah. how they look after their children, then they would not be willing to even have the conversation. Um, and I do remember when I, and at this period of time, there was a couple of cases that made the press where overweight children were actually put into care because that was deemed as child abuse and child neglect where they were so overweight that their parents were fit, deemed unfit parents. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of those cases. I don't know if it was neglect or whatever, but we don't know this. I don't know, personally know the situation, but they were put into care. So they were taken away from their own parents because of their weight. Um, you know, there may have been more of things going on. I'm not sure, but that was what, what the cases were. Mm-hmm. I've worked with some families, though, that, that they use, you know, food becomes a comforter, doesn't it? Food is very often a way of showing love for a lot of families as well. I mean, I have clients yeah. now that, are, you know, are struggling with emotional eating because that was the way that their parents showed love when they were younger. Yeah. And I can, I get that. You know, I, I do understand that. And if you're not, if you don't, as a parent, you, we're always trying to do our best, I think. And, you know, I... I've definitely been guilty in the past of, you know, using children to try and uh, using children, using food to try and soothe my children. I mean, now I understand the impact of that and I'll look at other ways. But again, as a parent, I was just trying to do my best as we all are, as we all are. But unless we can understand and be educated, like you said, Sarah, then then where do we go with it? I, I have a question, actually, Sarah, if you don't mind. Um, you know, obviously, we're talking about how when you were surprised because there were some of the children that you were working with were didn't appear to be overweight and then obviously you were told that what what children should look like do you think and and again it's just me just throwing it out there do you think this kind of you know this is how children should look do you think in some ways that that almost I suppose there's a bit of an unconscious bias there already and a bit of a judgment already when there might not necessarily, which sometimes can, I suppose, inform the way that you approach things. I guess so. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because life has changed. You know, obesity rates have, I don't know what the statistics are, but they are so much higher than they were. And if you look at any programme going back to, say, the 70s, and I remember seeing things like a beach, for example, and you just see all the people on the beach. It was quite unusual to see anybody that wasn't of a healthy weight or what was deemed a healthy weight or quite slim, if you like. And times have changed. If you were to go to, say, Bournemouth Beach, like last weekend when it was absolutely rammed, you will probably find a much, well, you will, or you find a much larger proportion of people that are the other way to that. And that's probably what's happened with children. So our our expectations of what is normal, what isn't normal, what's healthy, what isn't healthy is is changed. And you know, I what, do, it, but, yeah, God, sorry. I was going to say I probably find it quite hard to pick out 
a child that matched a weight on a scale because I probably wouldn't that my visual thing for that would be different now I don't know and you could probably tell a skinny child and you can clearly tell a very overweight child but that whole middle ground that's really great to me I wouldn't have a clue really anymore because they and and but that's just on a visual appearance isn't it that's just on a number and a visual appearance that doesn't tell you how active they are the quality of the food they eat the sleep that they get how much time they spend on a computer you know what affection and love they might get any of that stuff nothing is included other than a, a visual and a number and so it's it's just so it's a really difficult one and I, and I think I guess the question then is what difference would it make to your approach you know would it make a difference to your approach so how helpful is it as well um to kind of yeah I don't know it's a difficult one it is a difficult one because you know again it should be about asking those questions shouldn't it and it should be about you know how active is the child and you know how um what what is going on and does the family have access to fresh nutritious food do you know are they is there a routine is there a structure and all all those kind of things um that and it's not just it's hard as well isn't it because then when I'm saying that I always almost feel as well like it's kind of you know there's a responsibility a huge responsibility on us as parents and, and, and there is there is but we've also got to remember that our children have a responsibility too yeah yeah I it's really it's tricky because I've seen the reverse of that as well and I've seen um when my kids were small I was part of a baby group and we used to meet up all the time and one of them was the super healthy parents you know they were vegetarian they the kids only drank water they only had carrot sticks you know there was no there was absolutely no room for anything that wasn't deemed super super healthy but you take those kids to the parties that the rest of our children had and they would make themselves sick because yes. there yes. was all, there was like um or oh, what are those biscuits called with the ring in the middle with the icing yeah, on? Yeah, ice rings. Oh, yeah. Rings. Party rings. Party rings. My kids Party are... rings, that's it. And they're like really pretty colours, aren't they? They're like, whoa, eat me, you know, jam, jammy dodgers, you know, all that stuff all laid out. And to them, that was literally the kid in the sweet shop that just right. went crazy. And this one child was sick at every single party because he literally went, give me the food that I'm never allowed. So that's the other extreme of it you know it's such a balance isn't it between getting a balance between a healthy diet and some of what you fancy too which is the same for all of us not just children that's why as parents we have to be mindful about making sure that we are including my kids have my kids they're not allowed to have stuff well apart from when Leo decides to take the sweets to the gym but you know there you go (laughs) you know I don't say again it's not free access to sweets and stuff but I'd say every day they are having some kind of sweet chocolate um crisps or something because it, it you know it's like I said it's not something they're eating with every meal or but I think I've I've seen again like you Sarah I've seen that with clients I've seen you know I've worked with clients who have said exactly the same through the work with me they've realized that the reason that they feel addicted to food the reason that they have I've got one client who, um, you know, she she struggled so much with her weight. She had to, had a gastric band um, and came to me after that, interestingly. But anyway, um, and she said to me, it's because it, I was restricted while I was at school. While I was at home, I was restricted. I'm working with a client now, the same. She goes, I was restricted as a child. So as soon as I had my own independence, 
that was it, you know. I just and and and, and as adults now in their forties, fifties, they're still struggling with that, um, and it's only just now that they're starting to realise it. Yeah, yeah, it, and that's the thing, isn't it? You know, I mean, she was doing that for what she believed to be yeah. the best start for the child, but actually, what will those behaviours mean for him as an adult? You know, that mm-hmm. could be then a flip the other way too, couldn't it? You could have somebody that felt so restricted that they just ate with no kind of um, mindfulness at all so you know yeah and sorry as well because I think the other thing is that a lot of parents I don't know if you agree with this and maybe you've seen this in your own experience but I think there is this fear that if you you know allow them to have crisps and chocolate regularly they're just that's all they're going to want Mm. But I've seen in my own kids that actually sometimes they will go for the fruit over the sweets and they will go for the veggies over the chips. And, you know, not all the time. Sometimes they will. But you'd be surprised. Like a lot of people do say, oh, God, they're, you know, they're, they're asking for fruit. They're asking for carrots. You know, they're asking. To be fair, they know that half, you know, they also know what, you know, what they can and they can't have at certain times. But anyway, um, but I think my point is, is that if, if a child thinks that crisp sweets and chocolate are normal they're not going to just want them all the time yeah no yeah. play out don't get me wrong there are definitely times when I think my kids are eating more sweets than they should definitely but then there'll be other times where they don't have any for ages and they're really into their great grapes or their apples because they go through stages just like we do don't they yeah mm-hmm. yeah and I've seen this I've seen this play out with with the uh, clients I saw this with a 12 year old uh client and uh and and then i also have seen this with uh young ones so i have have another client who um, has a young son i think he's maybe four now but um but yeah so one of the one of the little things that that i had her try um as, as an experiment because she she's been doing a really good job of, of feeding him i said try giving him his dessert with his dinner yeah. And and she thought that that was really odd. And her mom is a retired um, physician. And so the mom, of course, was not on board with or the grandma was not on board with this. But I said, just give it a try and let me know what happens. And because we were just doing some different things. And I, I was kind of working with her on her own relationship with food and, and that kind of thing. And she started serving him that way. And, and it was so surprising that she would give him his dessert with his his meal. And sometimes he would start with the dessert. And then some, but sometimes he would go for the broccoli first. And, and a lot of times he doesn't even eat the entire dessert. So um, he's got this very neutral sort of uh, approach to food. And, and, uh, and it's really fascinating that when, now it doesn't happen overnight. You can't just say, oh, we'll just give your kids dessert with their dinner and watch what happens. It doesn't work that way. I mean, there were other things in place, but it was, um, it was part of it was an illustration to help her understand some other things that we were working on. But we see this a lot with, with kids who go through a, a, a um, who have that good the feeding structure in place that you were talking about earlier. And, and um, where, where food can actually become very neutral in the way that it is. And then you don't run into the issue of going to parties where they, the kid is shoveling in all this food and, in and of itself, a kid eating until they're sick at a party is not a big deal. But if that's a mentality that they grow up with over the course of their childhood and then go into adulthood with that, I think all three of us have seen the consequences of of what happens when people have that ingrained in them. It it turns 
into a number of other problematic eating patterns and, and issues and, and, um, and kind of contributes to that problem. And so, um, I, I guess one of my, one of the questions that I have for maybe both of you, I know we're coming toward our, our time and stuff is, do you think that it's more important to address these issues with the kids who are bigger or with all of the families in general? And and one of the reasons I asked that is you kind of mentioned some parents seem to be a little put off by the idea that, oh, your kid's too fat. You they may, Would you like to join this program? We can help you with that. Um, I see that with with special needs kids, too. Sometimes, you know, a kid has a learning disability or learning um, problems and they'll want to put them in special ed. And the parents like, well, my kid's fine. He, he doesn't need to be in special ed when they would benefit from that that additional education. So I guess coming back around, do you think that it would be more beneficial if we just were to incorporate some kind of broader base of education. That way we're not only looking at kids that are bigger and we're actually addressing where there could potentially be real problems with normal weight kids. Um, yeah, I do. I think, I mean, when I was at school, um, I don't remember getting particular nutrition type of education, but we definitely did cooking. You know, I learned to cook at school. Yeah. So we did um I don't even know if it was even called home economics or something. Mm-hmm. But that's we, what it for me, yeah. Yeah, that's what we did. You know, we brought in our ingredients or actually even to start with, we had them provided at school. Um, we had after school cooking clubs that you could join. And so you learn what is and kids love to cook. Kids absolutely yeah. cook. So if you can get a child to cook from an early age and it's part of what they know and learn then they're going to want and have some sort of education. And then for the parents that haven't had the opportunity or the luxury to have that at school themselves or for whatever reason in their adult life, then what can we help them with so that it's a whole family thing? I mean, you can't just pick a child. The child hasn't got overweight from its own accord. You know, something bigger has gone on Mm -hmm. somewhere, um, whether it's, no education for the parent whether it's lack of money lack of time whatever it may be the child is not to blame for that and so Mm -hmm. somehow there's got to be some way of you know making the whole family see it you know a young child especially isn't cooking their own dinners they're not buying Mm -hmm. their own food so somewhere along the line that's being produced for them and if the if the parents don't understand or haven't got the facilities to make a better choice, then they need to be helped somewhere. So, you know, it's very much the bigger picture, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And getting communities involved in it as well. Um, and, you know, again, I think it's also where, as talking about this um, the other day and talking about school dinners as well um, and about how, Obviously, the, the 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 quality tends to vary. I'm not gonna, you know, and I've seen that with my with my own kids. But I think it's also a great opportunity to encourage children to have more food acceptance skills as well, because they're going to be having food um, at school that they wouldn't necessarily have at home. So I do think schools are, you know, they're 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 a great place to, like you said, Sarah, to develop those life skills, but also as well at home, you know, because you know. My, as you know, my kids, particularly Luca, they love cooking, and a lot of that has come from it. Some of it happens at school, some of it like happens at home. I do think that 
And I've said this so many times before, I know this, I do think that that's the way we should be going, especially in primary schools, you know, teaching them how to cook, teaching them how to grow, take them to the farm, you know, whereas I do, I do think sometimes they're, you know, like Leo will come home and he's trying to, he's confused because his teacher's trying to teach him what a protein is at seven years old and he just doesn't get it. But he, he'll, he'll understand that beef comes from a cow and a cow lives on a farm and, you know, and we have lots of conversations. Oh, where does pork come from? Does pork come from a cat? No, it comes from all of that is is great. That's nutrition education. But learning about food groups and stuff when they're that age, Luca's getting a bit older and can probably deal with that in another year or so. But it should be like you said, Sarah, shouldn't it? It should be learning and it should be yeah, and like you and I completely agree with you, Jeff. That should be happening across the curriculum. It should be happening across, yeah. Um I'm talking about schools, but it should be happening for everybody because there are going to be children that are probably unhealthy, even though they're a healthy weight. Because yeah. Of yeah. I just want it. sorry, Gwanya. I was just going to say it needs to be relatable, doesn't it? It needs to be yes. relatable where yes. they are at the time. So you know, just when I did work for the NHS, we had um, the Eat Well plate. We had like a huge um, floor uh, sheet. It was like a plastic thing um and we had the fake foods that you know people would put into the categories they thought they were now you know we know that the eat well plate isn't absolutely ideal but it does form a basis a basis of general healthy eating for most people so you know if you've got young kids who doesn't like playing with you know fake foods and plastic foods they can put into you know that's like a game you know that should be on mm. their level not yeah. teaching what protein is what carbohydrates are etc that that can come later on so yeah just make it relatable to where they where they're at yeah it's interesting too there's some studies that that have looked at uh, um, into young kids and, and helping them learn these food acceptance skills and they've found that when they um, when they read stories and books that incorporate a particular food in there that uh, the kids actually become the the kids who went through learning about that through those stories, just hearing those little stories, these young kids, they were much quicker to accept this. And, and this was kind of an odd food. I can't remember what it was in this particular study, but it was a bizarre kind of vegetable that, that you would not expect kids to be willing to try. And, but they found that when they learned about it through the book and they learned how it grew and there were little characters that, and and they made it fun. They were like, hey, I think I'm going to try this. And then they, they were much more willing to to accept that. And so those are the kinds of things that, that can be better than telling a kid, here, eat this. It's good for you. It has vi it's high in vitamin C. And you tell a little five-year-old that and they have no idea what what that even means, or nor do they care. I mean, I was going to say, kids eat what tastes good. <laughs> you know, they don't care if something's healthy or unhealthy or got but like you said, like, or it's got, it was full of vitamin C. That exactly, it. and we should be not putting pressure on children. Should we? we should get them to learn and experience. And mm. like Leo's just got into his grapefruit at the minute. I'm not going to sit there and go, "Oh, well done, darling," because that's full of vitamin C. It's like, no, it tastes good, doesn't it? And we'll talk about it. And <laughs> like, oh, why does it taste a bit like? You know, what was it he called it? It's got like a floral taste, doesn't it? Grapefruit. And, uh, and yeah, I'm was, not a fan of it, but I not me. Yeah. No, I love it, but Leo, was, I can't remember how Leo described it, but. That's what that that's how you and and so because we were talking about it, it was encouraging him to eat it more. So it's that curiosity as well, isn't it? We talk a lot about being curious rather than um kind of yeah, so so I do think being curious with children and exploring all of that is really important. I did just want to say something going right back though, actually, to what we were talking about 
just in case anyone's watching and they're thinking, oh, no, because, you know, I just want to say that, yeah, about children going to parties and being sick, like you say, there was always that one child that, because he was so restricted. I do just want to say that, you know, my kids, sometimes that happens as well, you know, <laughs> the week. Yeah. And not not when they went to a party, but it was, I think, Luca went out with his friends. But both of them had, for some reason, twice on a trot, they had McDonald's and it made a meal. And... I don't, it, they, they were both really sick and it was, we, we, we got it, you know, we, we traced it back to it being the McDonald's and it's not that my kids never have McDonald's either. They do have it. They probably don't have it that often. And then when they did add, and even they went to my mum's at the weekend and Neo was like, I ate so much mummy, I felt a bit sick. And it's like, just, it was a new environment and it was, um, but I think, so I do just want to say, if your child has gone to a party and been sick, it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing fine. <laughs> um, I think it's, it, is a, it is a really good point, though, that if you're not allowing your child to have a variety of foods, and that includes the processed foods that, you you know, we know that not too much of it is not good for our health, but a little bit of it in the context of a balanced, healthy diet can actually give your encourage your children to have better skills feeding themselves as they grow up. Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything else that anybody... Is there anything else you wanted to add there? Is there anything I missed? Or no, no I think we had a good, a, a nice little discussion about that and different viewpoints and perspectives. And and it's great having you on with us, Sarah. Of yeah. course, um, Sarah's a good friend, and um, always enjoy her insight. And she's been in this in this industry for a long time, and and in a variety of of contexts. And and so it's always ex- it's always great to get her her viewpoints and perspectives on things. So make sure we'll tag her in this uh, this live. And I tagged her on the one on my uh, feed. Uh, make sure and go give her a follow on Instagram and um, and LinkedIn and all of that good stuff. Yeah, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. No, it's been good. Yeah, you'll have to come on again. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been nice. It's been great. And if anybody, like I said, if anybody is watching the the replay and has got any questions please hashtag replay and just post your question. If anybody's watching now, it'd be great if you could just say goodbye because we don't know. Obviously, there's been a couple of people watching. Someone's just said, what is it all about? I've just seen that comment now. But hopefully, we've just been talking about weighing children and, and how um, useful it is in isolation. Um, so, yeah, uh, do go back and, and watch what we had to say. So thank you very much, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day and stay stay cool, Sarah. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.